Hello, and welcome to the Scaling Therapy Practice. This is the show where we help you make small steps towards big growth. And some of you, that growth is going to be hiring more people or hiring virtual assistants. For some of you, it's going to be uh, going to another building or expanding your office locations or offering different hours. And for, for some of you, you want to do more with your education and maybe make some passive income and create courses and content from your education. Well, I have a resource for you if you're wondering if your topic is a great idea to teach on. I have a resource of validating your topic in four steps where I take you through the some free resources online that you can just use to your advantage and discover if people are talking about your topic, if books have been written about your topic, uh, searching for popular YouTube videos on the topic, and then mining that information for gold. And it's going to give you a good idea on if your topic is something that is already out there. And here's the secret. If people are writing about your topic, if books are being written about your topic, if uh, there's a YouTube following for your topic, then that means you have a your topic is valid. That means somebody's spending money on it. Somebody is creating uh, books and having publishers write things about it. And there is uh, it's good to go through this process and find, yes, there are resources out about it. And then I show you how to mine that resource for either course content for yourself or finding the gaps that you can fit in. Um, it's just a valuable free resource. Before you start investing in, in production of your course, just doing a little bit of research, you know, 30 minutes to an hour of looking and making sure it's a valid topic. So. You can find that resource on my homepage, coursecreationstudio.com, and then just go to the uh, free resources. Uh, it is called um, Course Creation Tools and Templates, and then scroll to the bottom, and it is Validate Your Profitable Course in Four Steps. There's also two other free tools there that you can use. Um, but yeah, check it out and then email me your questions. I'd love to talk to you about your topic and your research and, you know, things you're finding um, because I want to help therapists spread their uh, education and knowledge into the world and help more people. That's how I help people. I help the helpers get their stuff out there. So uh, email me, james at coursecreationstudio.com. And now on to the show. Hello and welcome to the Scaling Therapy Practice. This is James Marland and I have your co-host, Dr. David Hall. Hello, David. Hi, James. This week, we're going to talk about three policies that make your running your practice easier. But before we do that, we're going to get into our tool tech or tip of the week. I'll go first this week. And I've been listening to The Pumpkin Plan by Mike Michalowicz on Audible. I really like Audible. Uh, it's just easy to get a lot of books in. And uh, the 
the pumpkin plan is uh, pumpkin plan your biz, like how to how to. I'm sure there's a subtitle there, but how to grow your business uh, like you would grow a giant pumpkin. And the the one tip that is um, impressed upon me right now is what to grow a giant pumpkin. You have to remove the weaker, smaller pumpkins from the vine and just uh, nurture the big pumpkin that's going to grow into the giant fair winning uh pumpkin so the the tip there is to kill kill unpromising ideas and feed the the idea that is growing and will be produce the most uh the grow the biggest business it's all it's about niching and that that's interesting i i i'd heard the title of the book before and honestly it's a generational thing, I think, but like I think of the great pumpkin Charlie Brown thing, mm-hmm. and when you talk about the pumpkin plan, I think about like, is it convincing I, your friends about a holiday? No, it's the, but you know, but that's hard. What you're describing, you know, James and I are doing some course planning, and that was what we were doing before we started. We hit record, and it's really hard to kill off ideas because they're new and they're shiny and what what if that's a better idea that the other thing too is like well what if this other pumpkin is the real pumpkin that's going to win me the ribbon at the fair right and yeah. well and when you have clients it's like oh i can't get rid of that client they're you know they i need all the clients i can that's the big one of the big fears in the mm-hmm. book as managers have like i can't get rid of this section of clients because I need everybody. Which is sometimes true, I guess, but it becomes related to that. One of the things, and I was on a coaching call with somebody uh, yesterday. And one of the things I was discussing with them is there, a lot of people I do consulting coaching with, they're people that have a lot of ideas and here are all these different ideas. And a lot of them are good ideas. It's not, so sometimes there's some stinkers. And I try as gently as I can to say like, yeah, I, I don't think that that idea has wings. I, I think it's either it's too obscure or it's too complicated to execute or kind of whatever. But let's say I'm talking with somebody and they have five decent ideas. Oftentimes their goal is they may recognize what you're describing, James, but their goal is how do I pick the best? And I really don't like spending energy with that question. I think you. And this was the thing in my coaching call yesterday or meeting was I go, I want to try to pick the best. I would just try to pick one. Well, what if it's not the best is the question. I'm like, I don't think it matters. Like it, it may matter in ways that you won't be able to go back and know. My big thing is consistency is pick something in some ways, anything, not really anything, but nearly anything and do it consistently. Mm. Because it's amazing what you can grow, pumpkin or otherwise, if you're just willing to be consistent with it. And that's kind of the impulse that is the countervailing force to the desire for novelty. When we seek novelty, it's really hard to be consistent. Because what if this is better? What if this will catch, you know, quicker? What if this will grow quicker? What if this, you know, you know, I think when we grow our pumpkins, we think about, well, if I have gamma radiation to this. (laughs) <laughs> might give me a bigger pumpkin, but it, it, how do I speed up this process? It's like, well, well, I, I think the novelty is a, is a trap, though, because then you become a generalist. You know, you're a generalist in all these things, 
and you you command generalist attention and generalist price. And when you're specialist, you can you get a larger share of smaller amount of people, but you get the people who want to who want your exact skill, your exact mm-hmm. process to get them where they want to go. And they'll pay they'll pay more for it because that's that's you have exactly what they want. So mm-hmm. that's that's kind of I think that's the one of the big um uh, emphases of the book is you you want those people who want exactly what you can provide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's good. What's your uh what's your tool tip or tech of the week? Uh mine and before I get, I realize that for people that are listening to this whatever. But if you're watching this, you're on YouTube. I want to apologize for the mess kind of behind me. <laughs> it is, I am James. We started recording today. James like, Oh, you're in a new office. And it, I am, I'm in my home office. I usually record from my, my clinic office where my practice is and my home office. I haven't done any work out of my home office in a little bit. And the problem is my home office is in a basement corner of my house. It's a great place in the sense it was kind of sequestered in the corner. And it doesn't, a lot of the noise from the rest of the house doesn't carry over. It's easy for me to kind of hold myself up in here when I'm trying to do work. The problem with that is it's also an easy place for me to just put junk. And when I like get home from a camping trip or or something, and there are things I really need to put away. Oh man, it's easy to go in the office and just, because my office is either an office or a giant closet. And so I've got crap in the background. It it happens. It happens. Anyway, but I want to start that. That's not my tip. My, well, yeah, I guess that could be a tip. It was like, clean, keep your office clean. You never know when you're going to record. <laughs> you never know when you're going to record. But here is my t- uh, Loom. For those oh, who yeah. Said, Loom is a video recording extension. You put it in your browser. You can do it on your, it's an app you do it on your phone. Uh, I've used it. People will use it for a lot of things. People will use it for even like course recording to do screen grabs. Like it's helpful for a lot of stuff. I've, I've had friends that have used it for a long time. I've used other video recording software. I use something called Bonjoro, which is a thank you system for, uh, when people buy certain of my courses and that just kind of works in a slightly different way. And I've been thinking about using Loom for me, the big helpful thing is I'll record loom videos for emails because i can get on my phone or get on my computer and record a screen grab video much quicker mm-hmm. and it just helps me with my communication flow and i also come across a lot more personable speaking than i do in, in writing <laughs> i struggle in to think about the particularly i've had a few communications this week that needed to have some nuance to it and if you're just sending an email, there's the question of what are they going to infer about my tone? What are they going to? And it's much easier to manage those nonverbal communication things in video. So I like it. I like it for the ease. I like it. So if you're looking to, to add a little personal touch to your communication and a great tool for your workflow, use Loom. L-O-O-M. M. Yeah, it it's is great. A, there's a free version. And so, yeah, that's my tip. Yeah, we used it. We used it in the virtual assistant company to um, record processes and then just save the link to the process. And if the process had to change, you just re-recorded a video on how it went. It was much easier 
to follow and took much less time than typing everything out and like all these training things like the loom loom is great for when you have work on the computer to screen capture it's really it's a really nice simple intuitive system i really like loom yeah um i do have a a a a small segue the policy i had for email is if i couldn't if i couldn't communicate my message in two emails it needed a phone call or a face-to-face because i don't know about you but if you ever get into a misunderstanding email chain they they uh, it is the worst because you're like no that's not what I meant why are you applying like that I will just explain it again and then it gets worse and then worse and worse and so I I developed the two email policy if I can't get it done in two emails it's a phone call well I agree and for people that work with me more directly phone calls is kind of and I've I've had to uh, and we're talking about policies today that that is a, a more informal policy I have with my staff I go do not send me these emails like this, like I need, like, this is a phone conversation. Yeah. And this is how you need to send it to me and et cetera, et cetera. So, but, uh, no, the, for, for my instances, these are people I don't, I, I, the emails came out of a desire to move a conversation with people that I more tentatively know off of social media. They're like, Um, Hey, let's like, and, but I have email contact, but not a phone number. So, but you're right, James, I, I would have preferred to do a phone call if I had that relationship with people, but this is, and so it's like introductory things. Like I'm, I'm introducing myself to some people. No, it's great though. Like when I joined a conference or a, I took a class and some, and they sent me a video and said my name and it was only like 60 seconds long. It was like, oh, they care about me. So it's, yeah, it's very personal great for those things. We're going to talk about policies today, specifically three policies that can help you run your practice easier, better, quicker. Um, uh, so, David, we're going to talk about that. Uh, I think one one of the policies that I hear a lot is a, a no show policy. Uh, yep, do you, yep. do you want, can we talk about uh, your no show policy and how you you know how it fits with your practice? Sure, and and it's an evolving thing. So, I worked for a group practice for a number of years. And their no-show policy was uh, 24-hour cancellation with the exception of illness and kind of, you know, we allowed, uh, the practice allowed individual therapists or reception staff to make decisions on should this be a waived fee because someone's sick last minute or there's inclement weather, things like that. But generally, it was the full cost of the session for that. Now, the... This context works in a, this is a, a cash-based practice. If you're doing insurance, there are different rules of what you can and can't do. And what's even, if you're doing Medicaid or Medicare work, you can't, you can't do I, anything. I was going to ask about that. Like how, uh, we'll, maybe we'll get into that, but how do you deal with that when you can't charge? How a lot of practices I know that work very heavily with that is, is overbooking. They'll book oh. They'll plan a certain number of people just won't show up, and so they they double, sometimes triple book. Because if you if you only book, um, I, I think of a few practices I know of medical and and mental health as well, and uh, slash counseling, but that they did a lot of Medicaid based work. And what that is is that it's a set fee, but there's no copay. the The client doesn't necessarily owe anything in it, and you can't charge them anything for it. it it just it's part of your contract your agreement with the the state or the 
HMO who's managing the Medicaid payments or whatever it is. And so it becomes, well, if the patient comes, we have an encounter, then this is the billing unit. But if they don't show up, then it's nothing. And so the way they, if they had eight sessions and they knew that if they booked eight people in eight sessions that, you know, anywhere between six to three of them wouldn't show up. Yeah. And so how do you manage that? Well, you just kind of, it, it becomes an actuarial decision. And you're like, well, we typically have a no-show rate of this amount, so we're going to book over. The problem is every once in a while you have days where more people show up and then it's people wait. And, you know, there, there are difficulties with that. I'm very sympathetic because you try to, you have to have that balance between serving the clientele within the financial capacity that is allowed and running a business. But yeah, I remember when I worked at the hospital, uh, uh, the, the outpatient clinic, that we had a, a good majority i think of our our clients were the the medicaid mm -hmm. and so the no-show rate i mean does 30 percent, like 30 percent or something like three out of every 10 wouldn't show it was i've not was, worked in that setting that feels perfectly believable in some ways yeah maybe. it was a lot and so that that really led to some other business decisions you know how many how many how many clients can you see in a day? You know, we were talking about this in the pre-show where, you know, the people want that full hour. So they'll like put, pack them in back to back to back, do the notes in the session, like the treadmill type of thing, just yeah. to make it worth the while because of all the cancellations and they couldn't recoup any of the costs. And, and uh, as you talk about your overbooking system, which makes sense to me, our software didn't do it very well. Our software didn't allow. Well, I want to be clear. I have not worked in this setting. This is just what I've seen. Uh, well, okay. It's just something, it's something in my past that I, it was always a problem. Like mm -hmm. the no show, like I had a, I had a friend who they were, they were cash pay and they had very few no shows just because of what you said, they would charge the rate. Like they would, you miss this thing. You have a late cancellation. You're going to get charged. And that solved the no-show problem, uh, like to like 2% or something. It does reduce it quite a bit. So when I went to start my own practice and looking at policies for this, so similar payer model where we're a cash-based practice, but we made the decision to do 50% of the okay. fee. And there, there are a few reasons for that. One, the, the full fee felt kind of punitive mm -hmm. and often... I felt was more likely to lead to a rupture in the therapeutic relationship because it was, it was so high where this felt more understandable to a lot of people. That's one fact. It is, you're paying for the time and the time is, you know, if you know show and then I've got this time that I blocked out for you and yeah, it makes sense that I should be paid for that, but it's still not the same amount of work as it would be to actually do a session. Because I have a last minute no-show. I may not know they're not showing until 15 minutes, 20 minutes into it, let's say. Yes. That still gives me like a 30-minute bit where I can, you know, I can get a bite to eat. I can go for a walk. I can catch up some, on some notes. Catch up on like your some, notes. I can make some phone calls. It, I get some bonus in that too. So that kind of represents it. But, but here's the third thing. In, I, I've, my practice is in a college town. We have a lot of college students. Probably, I would say a third to of our clients are college students, and they're not personally responsible for their uh, sessions, almost to the person. Mm 
Mm-hmm. They have parents who are paying the credit card in, in mm-hmm. them. But they're typically legal adults. And we're, we don't always have, we're not always communicating or even have permission to communicate with the parents. Mm-hmm. And parents will come in and be like, well, has Johnny been showing up to his appointments or things like that? Well, here's the, here's the, the we couldn't say. But the parents can see the credit card bills. And if there's a different unit being caught, charged, if, it's, if, the, if your session is usually $27, but there's been these several charges that have come through of $66.50, mm-hmm. then mom and dad may have a conversation with Johnny because mm-hmm. that's Johnny no showing his appointments. And that, that was a way for us to loop in a certain level of accountability. That, was, that wasn't the initial plan. That was just something we realized after the fact. We're like, oh, this is handy. But even that, we do extend a lot of grace. One of the things I say, it's not an official policy, because that's the official policy, is it's 50% of the session fee. But we have amongst the staff a bit more unofficial. And part of how, how they unofficial is that, like, how do you manage the flexibility? Ultimately, since our clinicians are paid uh, based on disbursement percentages of client fees, there's money that would go to the clinic and there's money that goes to the clinician. The clinician, if the clinician's willing to forego it, mm-hmm. then, and we also have a small enough of a group that we, we troubleshoot it. I have a lot of my staff that will come in, ask me or ask my wife, who's co-owner and practice manager about a certain situation. But it, it is generally, the general rule is, and there are few, th- this is, this is, I guess, more official policy, but it's not written down. It, it, it's something that the staff knows. That if it's an intake, if we've never seen the person and they know show, you just got to eat that. Because yeah. if, if we have not even established an initial therapeutic relation with somebody, we're not going to charge for that. That's an ethical decision that we've made. And it also is this idea that if they do come back, if, if, if their only experience with us was a, a fee for a session they didn't use, the likelihood it's not a good them, start. It's not a good start. Therapeutic alliance. Yeah. If it is an unexpected um, illness, you know, if someone called. This happened to me this week. Someone called in and be like, "Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm not feeling great, and I'm running a bit of a temperature. I don't want you to come into the office." Mm-hmm. And so, even though that was only a few hours before the appointment, or life happens, where we hold a harder boundary with people is if the same things in life happen all the time. Mm. And it's basically everyone's allowed a pass, at least one. But if it's chronic, then it becomes, you know, that's, that's the issue. Uh, and that's something we deal a lot with that for our pre-licensed people we deal with in supervision. Uh, we want to give our therapists discretion on what feels like a good boundary to keep versus what would be rupturing to the therapeutic relationship. And that's, that's yeah. a hard thing to to know perfectly in every moment, but it's a good question to ask. So that's one policy. So our policy is 50%, um, you know, forgiveness for illness, for things like that. But it's funny, like snow or the, the inclement weather. And so I'm in this interesting place in the country. I'm in East Tennessee, the Mid-South. So we get snow. We're, you know, we're not like South Texas or Florida. Or, like, like snow's not uncommon uh, in the winter. But we get it infrequently enough that no one knows how to do anything with it. Like people don't know how to drive in snow. We, it, we get it enough where we get it, but not enough where that we can handle it. 
So if 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 there's a threat of snow, people will cancel a whole bunch of stuff. It's not even snowing yet, but you know, it might snow and like, oh, my driveway is pretty steep. We might, you know, and that used to be an issue, but since telehealth has become a norm, we just okay, we'll just do a video session. Mm. <laughs> that's so, great. That is great. So that's the first policy. So that's the first policy. The second one we talked about is same day appointment. So tell me what that is and how it benefits your practice. Don't allow it. So we don't have allow it. What don't does that mean? It. What is it? If you call and be like, can I get an appointment today? We don't do same. It's, it's similar to walk-ins. We don't do walk-ins. Okay. But we don't do same day appointments. And here's why that's a policy. If someone has that level of urgency, is our setting appropriate for them? Mm. If it, now, this is another one of those things. This isn't a hard rule where let's say someone calls for an intake and a therapist is handling it for their own schedule. And the therapist doesn't have another opening in the week, but they have something later this afternoon and they offer it to be like, Hey, I've got later this afternoon, but it's the client that's insisting, like, I need to get in today. And it's a new client sort of thing. And, I want to clarify too, like this isn't existing clients. This is someone new. If you're in that bad of a situation, outpatient counseling center probably isn't what you need. And so we do that as a filter in that, like if, if you really feel that in crisis, we probably are the place that can help you stabilize the most. Cause, cause okay, you come in you do an assessment session. Are we going to be able to help you get regulated or in a safe enough place within that? And if it's that much urgency, then it's it's better to direct you to a higher level of care. And I think, if, if I remember correctly, if if you they're referred to a higher level of care, insurance is only going to pay for the higher level of care that day. Sure, yeah. The, yeah there are a few different things in that as well. Uh, but it, it just becomes a way that we've learned. The other bit is, uh, are they going to be a good long-term fit appointment-wise? For example, right. if somebody needs... Let's say it's not in the sense of that they're, it's a safety issue or they're that crisis, but it's just their own sense of immediacy. Can I get in today? I need to get in today. I have to get in today. How likely are they going to continue? Because I find that for a lot of individuals like this, they run very hot and very cold. And so you catch them in a hot moment. And then later it's like, oh, I'm fine. And they'll no-show the appointment next week. Or they like, and so I just find that, that our level of care that we have to offer you need to be able to like wait a day or two. Not, I'm, I'm not saying we put people off because we have this thing where we don't, some practices will book people out for a first time appointment over a month. We don't do that. The, the latest we'll do is like two, three weeks. And that's only, we'll do three weeks if a therapist has a vacation week in there. And that's just the accommodation of that. But for a first time appointment, we can't get you in in under a month. And for a provider, that provider's not available is the way right. to treat it. Now, some people may strongly disagree with that. But I was, I was fielding an intake this week where that was the situation that came up, that somebody had booked with another therapist, had waited a month for the appointment, got in, had their first appointment, but that therapist didn't have another appointment for another month. And I, I see there are issues with that. I think there, there are professional standards and ethics that come into that. Like, are, are you really available to serve this person in this way? Right. And if not, no. <clears throat> Where I think it's good to have some flexibility in this, it, depending on what other resources are in your community, if you're kind of it or you're kind of it for the payer platform, you know, I, I, I want to encourage people to, to be contextual 
as you're thinking about what you can and cannot offer. For myself, in my setting and context, as a fee-for-service practice where there are other fee-for-service options in town, I don't think it's, I don't think it's, it's right to keep people on a wait list when I could direct them somewhere else. Yeah. Because don't want to make them wait that long. But anyway, but same day appointments usually represent too much urgency to, to be our setting to be the correct fit. And I will say, if you're running like a more intensive, if, if your context and practice, if you're running a day treatment program or, an, or intensive outpatient program, then same day appointments may work great. But we offer the level of care we offer does not manage well with people in that level of crisis. And have, having that policy in place filters the, the crisis clients to the right level of yes. care. Yeah. And we have it on our website where we say no same day appointments. You no, know. that makes sense. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. All right. Great. And so the third, the third policy that makes your life easier for running your practice is a policy on notes. So tell me why. I mean, I am not, but I, Tell me why this makes your your life easier as the manager when you have a uh, or owner as a uh, when you yeah, have a policy either, on notes. either sort of thing. So um, I we I've had several friends that have given me examples of this. I have one in particular. I'm not going to call them out on the podcast, but if they're <laughs> listening, they'll know who they are. Who was notorious? It was a coworker of ours at a, a previous group. Notorious of getting very behind in mm. notes. And there are issues with that. There are issues. If you're billing insurance in any form, uh, definitely if in network, but even out of network, super billing sorts of things, you cannot bill for sessions that are not documented because mm. you get a lot like that. That is insurance fraud, mm. uh, which is a big deal. But for us, even in cafe practice, there's, and, and here's what it is for a lot of our providers. There's their handwritten notes, which is like a legal pad sort of thing. Which so they then go into to create uh, a digital chart, you know, charting a digital uh, progress note in our EHR, and that's where the gap can sometimes be. So our policy is is that the ex in in our employment agreements, notes are supposed to be caught up by the end of every week. They absolutely have to be completely up to date by the end of the month, and if it's not up to date, uh, your pay is withheld. Mm. until it is up to date so no one gets that far in the rears and part of because there are legal issues with that and it's also our goal is not to be harsh our goal is to be accountable and to our therapists as well because it can if if i mean i've heard stories of months months and months and months and then it just becomes uh, our our friend uh, Gordon Brewer had somebody that worked for him a number of years ago that this was nothing. I mean, it was, oh, I'm, I'm getting agitated just thinking about that because that was such a bad deal for Gordon. And if he's listening to this, he's like, oh my God, yeah, I'm sure he'll, he'll, he'll be coming to my friend, but it was such a bad deal. And there, there are legal issues. There are ethical issues, quality of care. There's just practical issues. And so for us, we, our desire wasn't to be overly punitive, just becomes a matter of fact, like you, you just don't get paid. So and that kind uh, of, that solves that problem. Well, and we're even thinking about adding, like it becomes to where everyone gets it done, but sometimes it creates more work in the payroll process. And so we're actually about to implement a fine that if it's not 
if it's not done on the, the time that automatically there's a fine, regardless of whether you get it done in the next day or so, because it creates more work on the payroll side. Yeah. So, well, and, and if, but they don't get paid if they, or are they getting paid if they, they don't. are eventually, but it becomes like, because it's a big thing to withhold somebody's entire paycheck yeah. for the month. And so we're, we're even now toying with this idea of some intermittent sorts of things. Uh, yeah. I thought we're not going to pay them, but it becomes like they're a day late in getting their notes done. And, but it makes the payroll process running payroll more difficult. And there's, there's a sense of just accountability with, with who's running payroll because they have to go back and check. Yeah. It's more work. I have two horror stories. Uh, one was I worked with a psychiatrist who didn't do their notes for a while and they, they had to like cancel their, their sessions for a week or something because we were coming up on audit season and they had to get their notes done. And so that's, that's one horror story where you could lose, you know, yep. multiple days of work on one of your most expensive staff because they don't get their notes done. The second horror story was there was a one, one department got lax in their notes and they got audited and the, um, how it works was they would review like 10 charts or whatever, and then take the percentage of notes that weren't done and take back that much money. So it ended up being like 30 or 40%, not just of those charts, but of everything that was paid. And it, it was a big deal. Like people, people lost their jobs over that or were demoted or something. Like, uh, if you don't stay on top of your notes, it's, I, I love how you brought in the legal and ethical mm -hmm. side of it, but it's also a financial risk too. So Absolutely. having that policy in place and you're not the bad guy when you enforce it because you're actually protecting everybody, you're protecting the patients, you're protecting the business and you're protecting the clinicians for all those consequences of not getting those notes done. It's, it's not like, oh, uh, you're the bad guy. You're the good guy doing this with that policy because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. of the consequences. Anything else you want to say on notes? Get them done. Get them it's done. So fun. <laughs> Most of the, no one enjoys doing notes, I find. But yeah. it is, you know, they don't get any easier. You let them, you know, they, they don't age well. It's, it, you yeah. know, it's not like wine. You don't need to leave it in to, to you know, get it to a certain place. So, yeah, when I did uh, notes, I had to do them at the end of the, I did intake sessions. So I had to do my notes at the end of the intake session because I couldn't do three or four intakes and remember everything. Like I just yeah. had to, I had to build. I had to build my time in, like I had to build time in at the end to get it done so that I could effectively manage the next one. And that's just one way to manage it. Absolutely. All right, great. So three policies that can help you run your practice more efficiently, the no-show policy, same day appointment policy, and of course, the infamous no policy. Uh, David, what's one thing you want people to remember if uh, to take away from the episode today? Get your notes done. Yeah. That's it. Get your notes done. Was simple. And my, my one thing is I loved how you use the power of the policy to filter your preferred client. I thought that was simple and effective and, and kind, like it's clear and that's kind to people. Like you don't want to give them a service. My, my heart broke when people would come in for a service and they, and we were the wrong, you know, they waited so long for it and we were the wrong service for them. Uh, that was terrible. So I loved how you um, 
that policy, the same day policy filters people uh, to the right, to the right program. It's really good. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thanks again for listening. Uh, thanks, David, for being a great co-host. Yeah. Thanks, uh, James. This, yeah, this is James Marland with Dr. David Hall for the Scaling Therapy Practice, where we encourage you to take small steps towards big growth. We'll see you next time. Psych Maven is proud to support the Scaling Therapy Practice podcast. And if you are someone looking for ideas that are tailored to your own personal style on how to scale and grow your own impact and income as a mental health provider, we hope you might check out our free online assessment. If you go to stp.psychmaven.com, you can take our free personal inventory and find out what your builder type is as a helping professional. This assessment is quick and fun, and it comes with tons of customized resources with your results so you can discover the best ways to scale that match your own personality. Find the assessment at stp.psychmaven.com. That is stp.psychmaven.com. Have fun with it. Thank you for listening to the Scaling Therapy Practice. I hope you enjoyed the show. I want to remind you that the content shared today is for general information and entertainment purposes only. It should be considered as legal or tax advice. If you need a professional advice in those areas, please consult with a licensed attorney or accountant. But thank you so much for listening. The Scaling Therapy Practice is part of the SciCraft Network.